0: OK, um, I love this. I call this a Britney mic. I don't know if anyone else calls it that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, th- um, for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name's James. So um, my wife Christabel is sat at the back there in the blue, and then Kayla and Lucas, as well, are our children. Um, we sort of joined Christ first um formally sort of around easter time i just want to thank everyone for such a warm welcome that you you guys have given us and um for helping us to really settle in um so yeah it's it's been great and um i just i'm looking forward to getting to know more of you um over the coming weeks and months but yeah it's it's a real privilege to be able to um kind of um look into god's word together um and um also um just, just to be here to be able to kind of share what I've been kind of reflecting on and, and learning uh, over the last uh, couple of weeks as well. Um, just grab, grab my clicker. Um, okay, great. So um, today um, we're going to be, be having to think about, um, at least for my part anyway, um, a topic that's really close to my heart. Um, and something that's, that I believe is really important for, um, for us to grapple with as a Christian fellowship. And that is one of conflict. Specifically, how do we respond to conflict and hurt within the church? And how do we, as God's people, live differently to the world around us when it comes to conflict, when it comes to disagreements between believers? See, the world around us, when people get hurt, the go-to response is one of revenge, one of potentially of unforgiveness. We often want to get our own back. My son Lucas um, was telling me um, the other day that his friend told him that it's okay to hurt other people if they hurt you first, and apparently this was something that his friend's dad was telling him as a you know important life lesson. And um, and normally he kind of comes to find us um, when we're doing stuff, and he tells us he tells us things that happened in the day, and we were just like, right, hang on, Chris, like, hang on, stop, let's stop for a second, let's drop everything. Can you, Lucas, can you come over here? Let's have a talk about this. <laughs> you see revenge is often seen as quite normal it's often normalized maybe made to look cool in soaps and films and things and we're almost taught to be entertained by it enjoy it it's normal think about the film gladiator because everyone, everyone's seen gladiator right is is a, a great film but i mean the, the premise of it a big portion of it is about revenge right if you, if and imagine if the the famous quote from gladiator went a bit like this my name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, of the, commander of the Armies of the North, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and in this life or the next, I'm going to forgive you. It just, it just, it just wouldn't sound the same, would it, right? It, it, it just, like, it, it kind of, it doesn't sit quite right almost in the, in, the, in the worldly culture. I can tell you that the film probably wouldn't have won so many awards. And the thing is, it, there's a danger, isn't it, that this thinking, this unforgiveness, seeps into the way that we, as a church, deal with conflict among believers. And candidly speaking, I, I've seen firsthand how unforgiveness, unrepentance, broken relationships, and dealing with this, this conflict in a, in a wrong way, has led to a whole congregation breaking down. I've seen this firsthand. So I believe it's so important for Christians to know how to deal with conflict in the church. And it's a topic, as I say, that God has really placed heavy on my heart. So we look at this passage. Jesus gives us a kingdom perspective about how to deal with conflict. So the context of the parable, um, uh, I, ha- I haven't, um, I'll kind of put the, Sorry, this is not working. So this is, oh, i switch it on. Great. Okay. So, um, just uh, I guess um, I, I don't know if everyone kind of knows the knows knows the passage, but um, should, does everyone want to, Shall we read it together? Um, so it's in it's in Matthew um, Matthew chapter eighteen, um, verse twenty one to thirty five. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, "Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he when he sins against me?" Up to seven times Jesus answered I tell you not seven times but 77 times therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants as he began to settle as, as he began the settlement a man who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him since he was not able to pay the master ordered that he and his wife and, and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled their debt, and let him go. When that servant went out, he found found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owed me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servants, he said. I canceled all the, that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart Hmm. So the context of the parable is Peter's asking Jesus how many times he's to forgive his brother And the, the teaching around that time was that maybe two or three times was sort of an acceptable number of times to forgive someone And Peter here might have thought that maybe he was going above and beyond by suggesting seven times. But then Jesus replies with, no, not seven times, 77 times, or 70 times seven times. I don't think he literally here means 77 times or 490 times, but rather we shouldn't put a number on it. We should strive to continue to forgive our brothers and sisters every time. And the idea of putting a numerical value on forgiveness is not just an ancient Jewish Jewish teaching. It's often how we think about things today. We think about, you know, that person wronged me this time, doing by doing that, by doing that. Now I just can't forgive them. We can often consciously or subconsciously keep a tally of how many times someone has wronged us. But Jesus, Jesus here is saying that no, we should forgive them, strive to forgive them every time. And man, this is a hard teaching, isn't it? Because there are some of us who maybe aren't harboring much hurt. And praise God for that, right? But I know, I'm well aware that some of us are hurting deeply because of something someone has done or said. And Jesus helps us here with a parable that reminds us how we're to do this, why we should do this, why we should keep on striving to forgive others every single time they wrong us. And as we dig into the parable, we're gonna be thinking about three imperatives. Next slide, please. Okay, it's not working so well. Okay, so I'll just read it out. (laughs) Um, So three imperatives. Remember your debt, treasure the king's mercy, and give freely what we've received. So three things we're gonna be thinking about today. So first, remember your debt. So the parable begins where the king wanted to settle debts with his servants. And one, one servant is brought in who owes, them, uh, owes the, the master, the king, an enormous amount of money, 10,000 talents. So, in, um, in, the, uh, in the slides, I think, of, uh, the translation is 10,000 bags of gold, but um, in other translations, it's 10,000 talents. And 10,000 was the largest Greek numeral, and talents, the largest units of currency. So essentially, in the parable, this, this person is, uh, owes an enormous amount of money. It's orders of magnitude greater than the annual revenue of the sort of surrounding areas, put together. And Jesus' point is simply this, that the debts were so big that there's no way that one person could pay it off. He wouldn't be able to pay pay it off in a thousand lifetimes. And the result is that this man and his family and everything that he owed needed to be sold in order to pay off this debt. He needed to work it off. But there's nothing that he could have done. And what we read in the passage, the parable, is that he has nothing left to do but to fall at the feet of the king and say, have mercy on me. Now, amazingly, in the parable, that even though the king is owed this huge amount of money, he cancels the servant's debt just like that. I mean, if you were the listeners at the time, wouldn't you be surprised at that? You know, this person owes an enormous amount of money. Oh, you're, I owe you owe that person sorry? I'm going to forgive him? You know, it's, it's like a jaw-dropping moment in the story. It's like, what? He cancels the servant's debt. The servant has his slate wiped clean and no longer has to endure this punishment that the the master was talking about. And just thinking about us today, this is such a clear picture of our relationship with God, isn't it? See, the Bible tells us that by our very nature, we turn away from God, we reject him. Our thoughts, our words, our actions, everything that flows out from our inner being are not naturally things that honor our perfect and our holy God. See, all of these things everything that we think that doesn't doesn't please God it's like adding debt to our accounts it leads to a broken relationship with our Creator see just like the servant in the parable no matter how hard we try doing things in our own strength there's no way that we can pay this debt back to God there's no way that we ourselves can mend this relationship with our awesome and holy Creator there's nothing that we can do but to fall at the feet of God and say Lord Have mercy on me, a sinner. And God sent Jesus into the world to take on our debt. So as he died on the cross, he took on on the punishment that we rightly deserve so that our slate can be wiped clean and we don't have to endure an eternity of separation with God. See, God has said in Jesus, I forgive your debt. So when we face a situation of conflict, One of the things that we need to remember first, remember our own debt before God, and also remember God's incredible grace towards us in Jesus. The second thing I'd like us to think about is treasure the king's mercy. In a parable, if we imagine it like a movie, verse 27 would have been a great way to end the film. The protagonist, the servant, has gone through a, a trial, triumphed over adversity, and everyone seems to be happy. Great conclusion. But Jesus has only really told half the story here. Verse twenty-eight. What we see is that straight after the servant has his debt cancelled, he goes out, and rather than celebrating, he straight away finds another fellow servant and attacks him violently for the money that's owed to him. And the money that was owed to owed to him was a hundred denarii, so essentially hundred days' wages. And you know that's that's not a small amount of money. It's not, it's not something that you, you would naturally have in your back pocket. But it is an insignificant amount compared to the amount that he owed the king, firstly. And this is pure, genius storytelling by Jesus. The hearers move from rooting for the underdog in the story to being shocked and outraged by his response, his actions. And there's the deliberate symmetry in the passage here. In the parable of the fellow servant's response was the same as his one before the king. He fell at the servant's feet and begged for mercy. And what did he do? Instead of showing mercy, he had the, servant, the fellow servant jailed, punished for the hundred denarii that he owed him. And we're not told by, by Jesus exactly why the servant acted in this way, but maybe it's because he blamed his fellow servant for getting into the, him into that debt in the first place uh, before the king. But what is clear is that he was completely gripped, completely um, gripped with resentment towards his fellow servant. He glossed over this amazing gift of forgiveness that he had just received. And he held on to the small grievance, comparatively, um, to, um, that, was, that was done to him. He wasn't letting the forgiveness that he, of the king really sink in. His heart was completely unchanged by the, by the experience. He might have thought, that was a that was a close call, wasn't it? All right, now to get my money back. His heart was completely unchanged. And I wonder, when we, when we think about our relationship with God, how often do we dwell in the wonder of what God has done for us? Perhaps some of us have been Christians for a long time. And there was a time that you were fired up by the gospel. Our hearts are completely captivated by what, has, what God has done for us. But over time, I wonder if some of us, there's that, that passion that we once had, that fire, has sort of died out a little bit. And once something that, that it was all we could think about has become just a Sunday thing. And well, if that's you, can I kind of urge you, it's time to get back to basics. Let's dive into God's word individually, together. Let's dive into church life. And, be, and let's rediscover the beauty of Jesus and savor the generosity of God. Because being amazed by God's grace changes our perspective on disagreement with each other. It changes how we deal with conflict. How we worship God overflows in how we relate to each other. We're to remember our debts, we're to treasure the King's mercy. Finally, we're to freely give what we've received. So in the last part of the parable, the, the, the servant is sort of brought before the king again after being grassed up by his by the other um, by the other servants. And the king is furious about what he what he's heard, how unforgiving the servant was. He confronts the servant in verse 33: Shouldn't you have shown mercy just like I showed to you? This time around, the king doesn't pardon him. He has him thrown into jail with essentially a life sentence because there's no way that he can pay off this debt. You might think at the end, OK, great. You know, the good guy in the story wasn't so good in, in the end. End of story. But Jesus actually finishes the, the, the passage in verse 35 with a pretty sobering teaching, just in case the audience didn't really get it. He says, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. As we read that, we might think, hang on a second, something doesn't quite sound right. Are you saying that we can't be saved unless we forgive? But I thought salvation was by faith alone. No, what he's saying here is not that our salvation is necessarily dependent on our action of forgiveness. It's not that we forgive and then we get saved. It's that our forgiveness of other people flows from our salvation. Our willingness to forgive is an outward sign of an inward transformation. I've heard it said before this way, I think it's quite helpful. A forgiven people are a forgiving people. When we receive forgiveness from God, we're to give forgiveness freely to other people. One commentator writes it it this way, it's like, it's like our lungs and air. So we, we, when we breathe in forgiveness from God, we have to breathe out forgiveness for other people. And we only have room to breathe in more forgiveness from God when we breathe out forgiveness to other people. And, and the analogy I don't think is perfect, so don't, don't kind of dig into it too deep, but deeply. But the, but the point is simply this, that the two, our forgiveness from God, receiving forgiveness from God, and our giving of forgiveness to other people are linked. They can't be separated. And this is, this is kind of a teaching that's dotted throughout the whole of the New Testament. I think of the, the end of the, the Lord's Prayer. I think I have it in the slides, actually, if I can change slides. It says at the end of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And a a passage in Colossians, which Andy uh, helpfully pointed me to, is bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And this is such a hard teaching. Such a hard teaching because, you know, what we said before is that I know that some of us will have experienced extreme hurt. But the thing is, forgiveness is supposed to be hard. Forgiveness is supposed to be hard because because it costs us to forgive other people. We think about the king in the story. You know, he forgave the debt, but that means he's lost that, that money, right, that was owed to him. But more personally, to us, think about what it costs God to forgive us. It costs Jesus life on that cross to receive forgiveness from him. Forgiveness is hard. But I want to propose that unforgiveness is hard as well. Unforgiveness is hard as well. And the reason is that hurt and broken relationships are like heavy weights on us. They're like heavy rocks that we carry around wherever we go. It affects the way that we think. It affects the way that we relate to other people. It affects the way that we can worship God. And I wonder, I just wanna sort of close now, whether there are any of us here today who are carrying this heavy weight of hurt. And I wonder if there are some of us who, who in our lives, there, there are people that we've yet to reconcile with, people who have done us wrong and we're just not ready to forgive just yet. So as, as a reflection exercise, I, can I just um, ask someone to help me pass around these, these rocks? Because when we carry around hurt, in in our hearts. It's, It's heavy. It's heavy. So I'd like someone to help me pass around these. Everyone can take one, please. Thank you. And as you take one, I'd like to ask each person to think about whether there's anyone in your lives who you haven't yet been able to forgive. And if there are, then let this rock that you pick up be representative of that relationship. And I'd like you to challenge you guys to take that rock home and keep it with you until you feel like you're ready to forgive that person. And this is a really personal exercise between you and and God. It's not something that you you necessarily have to share. But if you do, of course, I'm sure many people would be would be willing to pray with you. But see this as A challenge, a way of of kind of motivating yourself to 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 examine yourself and your relationships to see whether there are people that you've yet to forgive. Because God is in the business of forgiveness and reconciliation. And we're to and we are to forgive as He has forgiven us. So as we draw to a close, if everyone is able to pick up a rock um, and let's move into a short time of reflection um, and then I'll pray to close in a few minutes. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you so much that you have forgiven us. Thank you that although we fall short of your glory, there's nothing that we can do to mend this relationship with you. You sent Jesus to die on that cross so that we might have been in a right standing with you. Lord God, the passage we looked at today is It's a hard one to to follow, Lord. It's it's not easy to forgive others. Lord God, we pray that you would give us the strength to do so. Lord, please remind us daily um, what it took, Lord, to forgive us. We pray, Lord, that you would enable us, Lord, Lord God, to be able to extend our forgiveness to other people.